and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. The COVID-19 crisis has put a spotlight on the outdated tech infrastructures of many traditional financial services companies. As cloud computing has matured, banks and credit unions have hesitated to embrace the technology, worried about security, unsure of the benefits, and unwilling to hand over control of their data. The pandemic is expected to accelerate a shift to the cloud, however, not only because of the many concerns that have been addressed, but also because fintech and big tech organizations are built around modern technologies that provide them a competitive advantage. To understand the potential of cloud technology and the options available to financial services firms of all sizes, we are joined today by Tom Eck, Global Chief Technology Officer at IBM, and Spiros Margaris, venture capitalist and founder of McGarris Ventures. In this episode, they discuss how cloud computing fits into the entire digital transformation journey and why cloud computing is more than just a new technology. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. When I started this podcast almost a year ago, my mission was to bring the best possible guests on the show who could share insights in the process of banking transformation. While most of our listeners are are pretty much people who in some way impact customer experience and are are more front-facing, we have intentionally steered clear of discussions that are mostly back-office focused. What is missed, however, is how important the process of updating legacy technologies and systems are to the overarching customer experience, the ability to deliver innovation, and just the ability to transform into digital-first organizations. And the imperative of moving to the cloud is to be basically in a position to compete with organizations who are built on much more modern technology. So to start us off, Tom, you've had more than a decade of experience working on emerging technologies within financial services. What are the primary benefits of the cloud technology for financial services compared to a traditional data center? Right. So, so first of all, all of the cross-industry benefits of cloud are relevant to, to banks. And by the way, I'm going to use for this podcast, I'm going to use bank as a shorthand for any financial service institution. Okay. So, you know, the banks enjoy all those traditional benefits of, you know, OPEX versus CAPEX, elasticity, scalability, site diversity. So that's all there. But secondly, banks also benefit from the, you know, the tremendous ongoing investments that the cloud providers make to maintain uh, the highest performing services that are constantly being patched, upgraded, and monitored, you know, for security holes. As an example, at IBM, we have a a very robust VMware on cloud offering that we have now enhanced even further to suit the regulatory requirements of banks. And we've seen in some cases that our on-cloud version is more secure than an on-prem VMware installation. And that's because we have the, we have the capacity, we have the, the mind power, et cetera, to focus on these things that, you know, like really in-depth security that a bank doesn't because a bank is into banking. So um, that's the second thing. But the third thing I think is the biggest benefit, and you'll probably hear me repeat this a few times on, on this podcast, is that the cloud allows banks to reinvent themselves as platforms, okay? Beautiful set. Thank you. And, and, you know, so a platform to me is where an entity, an institution, an enterprise, a bank makes its services, plus the services of its ecosystem partners, simple to consume, right? And I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the platformification 
of, of just about every industry makes sense. And that the cloud is, is I think, a nece- the necessary substrate underpinning platforms. So you've been pushing uh, different technologies over the last 10 years to financial institutions primarily. But what have you seen is the biggest reason why embracing these new technologies, especially cloud, has been so difficult for financial services? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because we know that there's been no lack of, of media attention, you know, statements that the bank is going to move all 10,000 of its apps to the cloud, tons of investment, tons of activity. But I have not seen, and I've done, you know, I'm a global CTO, so I get to see all around the world, mostly the largest banks, et cetera. I can say that very little progress has been made across any cloud. But I will boil it down to one word. It's risk, right? So banks are in the business of risk management, right? Whether it's their their book of investments or how risky a loan is, but operational and technical risk are up there, right? And moving to a completely new operating environment, especially public cloud, because it has the word public in it, you know, it's it's just fraught with many concerns to a CISO or, or you know, chief risk officer. And, um, you know, some of those some of those threats are real and some are just perceived because the clients still need to be educated about why what we're doing on the cloud to make it as secure as a private cloud. But, you know, regardless of all the technology in the world, right, regardless of um, how many bit encryption you're using or whatever, it still comes down to people. Right. Yes. We still need to to convince and I don't mean like sell. I mean, convince so that that the decision makers finally can you know intuitively understand. OK, I understand now why if I go and move some of my most sensitive workloads to to your cloud, I will be able to sleep at night. Well, and you know, it, it, you know, you just brought it up, too, is in many cases, people believe it's an on off switch. There's a dimmer. You, you don't have to put all of your work into the cloud and moving to Spiros. I think one thing, you have probably a slightly different perspective working with startups who are built on modern platforms to begin with. From your perspective, why do new and even established fintech firms use the cloud as the foundation for their offerings? What's the major drawing card? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's the cost. I mean, to build it yourself I mean, and to maintain it, I think the budget is not there. So somehow cloud is a beautiful uh, offering for those startups to, to use cutting edge technology and to be able to scale with the success as they become more successful. So they don't have the mindset of leaving something behind. They're risk takers per se. And I, I don't see cloud, I mean, and regulators see it less and less as a risk at all. It's just a mindset, as Tom said, that uh, for startups, it's very clear that cloud is the way to go. As I said, scalability, price, money, there's not so much money around to build it yourself. And nobody would even think about it to build it yourself. I think you have to build things that make you unique. But if somebody offers something that, that he does it better. Why not use it? I mean, that's the whole concept, Jim, we're working in. I mean, the fintech supermarket, basically using the best service available to provide your customers with uh, a better user experience, better, better solutions. And cloud is just one thing that enables those startups and big players, incumbents, to react to fast, faster to certain situations. Look at COVID. Look at the 
the work, I mean, people work from home. I mean, without cloud, most providers could not even provide this within the organization. Then it would be like, we have a problem. Okay, how do we get the service? How do we get all these things done? <laughs> With cloud, it's like almost switching the light on and you can provide your customers better, faster data, uh, solution searches and your employees. I mean, what happens now with our conversation, the three of us, obviously we will answer things every one of us would have answered. So, and knows, but uh, I think uh, it's just a question of time until everyone realizes that a hybrid model between private and public cloud is the only way to go. With that as a basis, Tom, one of the major concerns that you've mentioned more than once so far is cloud computing is security and privacy. And when you're working with clients on a cloud solution, how do you address that? I mean, I'm sure it's probably the first thing you address because you know that's the elephant in the room that everybody's going to, it's going to be the first question they have and it's better to take it off the table or at least address it. And, and is one of them, one of the ways to do this just simply saying, you don't have to go all in, but you know what are the other challenges besides just um, security and privacy? You know things like compliance and data storage and continuity, all the things you're starting to allude to. You know how do you address those issues when you're meeting up with a, a small or a big organization? Right. Well, one way to not address them is by dodging them, because <laughs> if you, what we're finding is you, you, <laughs> unless and until you can convince the CISO about the security of, of the cloud offering, uh, you know, maybe you can get a bunch of POCs and, and, and a little bit of work here and there, but nothing major is going to happen. So it's kind of all roads lead through the, um, the, you know, the chief information security office. Okay. So how do we educate the CISO as to why our, our platform and our technology is ready for those, for those most sensitive workloads? Okay. So first of all, you know, IBM is in a u- unique position because we've been around for so long with with banks. You know, I don't know. It's something like we are in ninety six percent of every financial financial institution worldwide in one in one in one way or another. So we know this industry better than any other cloud provider. Um, we we have the experience and and even the regulatory experience, um, which I can talk about about later. Um, so that's the first thing is trust, right? They they want to again. It comes down to human beings, and and we like to do business with people who we like. And when we when we have something like this, we also need the trust. Okay, so that that's one thing. Now, to be very specific about like technologies for security, um, IBM is the first to develop a technology called Keep Your Own Key. So it's like Bring Your Own Key, except uh, infinitely better. Okay, so what Keep Your Own Key means is that IBM. Um, even our most highly privileged cloud administrator cannot physically at all gain access to, to the bank's keys. So the keys are already used to encrypt data, right, and, and, and other things. Um, so we, we were the first to market with that. We were the first to market with the highest level of encryption um, for keys. It's a, it's a really long um, uh, standard name. I'm not going to go into it, but we, we were the first to come, come, come to market with that. So highest levels of, you know, uh, security um, of your data. Secondly, we have, a, have, we have had a policy um, for, for years, and it remains, is that your data is your data. So we will never use your data and mine it for, for our purposes or, we'll, or, or combine it and aggregate it with anybody else's 
that is that is your data and that is that is none none of our business so that's that that again is a there's a trust thing but there's also a tech, technical aspect to that that we couldn't even access access it if we wanted um business continuity another another a big concern and we have been making major investments in what we call um, multi-zone regions, uh, MZR. So what an MZR is, is you could think of it as a pair of data centers that are in typically neighboring cities in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a major hub, you know, financial services hub. So for example, in, um, in, in, in Japan, let's say we, we might have one in, we would have one in Tokyo and one, you know, I'm not sure what the other data center is in Tokyo, but near Tokyo. But the idea is that they're close enough to one another so that the latency is not an issue. So for high availability and, and redundancy, all that latency is not an issue, but they're separated enough so that if, let's say, um, a meteor hits one of the data centers, it's unlikely to hit the other one, right? So we we are building that's the most expensive way i think to build high availability but it's the right one so you know that's what we're doing because that's what our clients need yeah so spiros when you're working with founders and supporting teams that maybe aren't as familiar with the cloud but but have to make a decision so there's there's really because it's such a big item to deal with you you have I would say a minimal number of suppliers. You you don't have a lot of suppliers in the marketplace and you you have three or four very big ones. So um, how do they make the decision as to which one to go with? But not only that, but how do you deal with things such as compliance and regulations when most fintechs are not built from financial institutions and they don't have nearly the education? So both, how do they make a decision as to which way to go, and how do they deal with the whole issue of compliance and regulations? First of all, I would like to say that uh, most successful fintech startups, I mean, all successful ones, and the ones who want to become successful, uh, regulation is one of the key topics, as, as big as technology, because if you don't comply with regulations, you will be dead before you start. You know, so I think they're very competent about what it takes to be compliant. Uh, the, the other issue is obviously where cloud comes in as well is you get so much data and how can you handle all this data to deal with compliance issues or you know your customer, whatever, I mean, risk management. And I think, uh, I think those startups, they go usually, I think, with the companies they know. You know, it's it's a people's business, and then you can still choose among those big players. I mean, but I think it's a question of costs because you don't have much money. We're talking about startups and about feeling comfortable. But I think a lot of big players can provide uh, great solutions, but uh, sometimes we can't afford them. People want always the best, but it's just a question of... Uh, how much money do we have to spend? I mean, it's different. Tom, you're dealing with uh, incumbents. They have the money and they have an urge or they should have an urge to change, to adopt, to adopt to cloud, etc., to be stay competitive. The smaller players would be your best customers, but they can't afford something to your services. So I think that's a business model in itself where we should provide smaller players, promising smaller players a discount and get more money later. 
because they want your solution, but can't afford it. And the big players can afford it, but they don't understand completely the benefit it provides in compliance, in customer experience. It's interesting because you mentioned about the smaller players, but that's where traditional financial institutions maybe have a little benefit because they already have a platform. And them moving to the cloud, they can do it in such a way that they don't have to pay for it all up front, which you, as a startup, you pretty much have to. So you have the ability, again, to, to, to have parts of it still stay in the legacy f- uh, format while others going into the cloud and help pay for itself. And especially as we're looking in a, in a post-COVID or a COVID world where there's a whole lot less money on the table than it was back on March 12th. Um, I think we, we have to look and say, you know, it is still accessible to everybody, but it's one of those things they have to make a decision as to which way to go. And, and Spiros, when, you, when you're talking about emerging financial firms, you're really, most of the time, the differentiation is based on the ability to use data and insight to provide those exceptional customer experiences. I think that's the the play, you know, be it the big guys, the, the PayPal, the Fofis, the Monzos, whatever it may be, but also the smaller players. It's really been built around building the best digital platforms and the best customer experiences. How does cloud computing help as building a better foundation for a customer experience? Yeah, good question. But I mean, I think it is to access more data and to have uh, the power cloud provides with all those vendors. All the power, all those uh, the access you get to create other solutions on the platform. And you can scale that, you know, you don't have to build it. And, uh, and that's, I think, why uh, startups uh, tend to go on cloud. I mean, not even tend to. It's actually almost the only option. It's not even a question. It's like, uh, you know, as much as you have to, Tom, you have to convince those uh, players, there it's like, yes, is there any other solution? (laughs) Is there anything? (laughs) But I think that the truth becomes, you know, as the small players become big, the truth becomes, uh, you know, they will face some of the issues big players have as well, just with fewer people and less legacy. But eventually everything is legacy. So, you know, Tom Spiros has been talking about platforms in and out of the conversations he had, and more and more discussions have been talking about the ability to support open banking platforms that include services, not just including other financial services, but beyond banking products. And we, we've talked about that with the, the big tech players coming into financial services, but we're also more and more realizing that financial service organizations have to operate a little bit more like an Uber and an Amazon of the world, be able to sit and say, can I do multiple things with a platform? Why is a cloud a better alternative for firms as they move in that direction? So you mentioned open banking, right? So it's a good example of the power of, of a platform. So the way I like to think about it is, you know, again, the platform is, is a substrate for exposing services through easy to consume APIs. And one of, you know, the concept of open banking is also around the standardization of those APIs, right? And it, what we're seeing is that's, that's evolving in, in different geographies, and there's some very interesting innovation going on there. But what really makes it very powerful, both to the bank and to the consumer, is the ecosystem partners, okay? And we have a client who has done an excellent job. They are in Latin America. And they have done an excellent job of bringing together, you know, third parties that I never even thought of would be on a, on a banking platform or a banking ecosystem. I mean, they looked at, they looked at things from a different 
different view from the consumer point of view. You're using like some form of, you know, empathy. Now, nobody wants to obtain a mortgage. People want to buy a house, right? <laughs> this is right. just a necessity, <laughs> right? So, um, and that's just one piece of it. If they're, you know, they also have to worry about turning on the utilities, getting, getting a moving company, getting insurance. So imagine if the bank became the hub for all those things and the consumer would only need to basically, you know, onboard themselves once to the platform. So all the KYC, you know, know your customer, anti-money laundering, all those checks could be done once and, and could be shared securely, obviously, and with the consumer allowing it to happen. But those credentials and that information could be shared and it'd be a much more fluid user experience. Okay. So I think that is a really good example of how banks need to transform from being a financial institution to being an offering of services, right? And they're there to serve their clients and money and the transfer of money is fortunately or unfortunately behind just about everything. So let's bring those other things in, into the mix and make them make it more convenient. Tom and Jim, you know, if you think about our industries, it's like kids and adults. Adults have a structure how to deal with things. But a kid, if he looks at some toys, it says, okay, what can I do with those toys? You know, and that's, we should become kids again when we look at solutions, you know, and just say, not in, instead of saying with this, I'm going to do this, it's just like, like a kid who comes up with brand new solutions. As you mentioned before, the South American company seems like a, a startup, a kid, or, or maybe even if it's an incumbent, it has the mindset of a kid of building something just, you know, fresh. Yeah. You know, we're getting back to the same thing. It's about culture. And, and it's, it's amazing how many of my podcast episodes I've had where you go, you know, the biggest hindrance to innovative thinking is legacy culture um, and for digital transformation. And, and what's interesting also is, is Tom, you mentioned a, a firm that looked at it from a different angle. And, and we interviewed uh, a couple weeks ago a gentleman from Keisha Bank who runs their Imagine platform. And Imagine platform is, is really built for the young child. I mean, for the, the beginning of the Gen Z. And what's interesting about that is they've completely rethought about where the, the financial services are paid for. It's not paid for by the consumer. It's paid for by the suppliers that want to get services in front of the consumer. And, and pretty much what you talked about, Tom, is that when you look at this differently, wouldn't the, the utility company, wouldn't the, the company that does lawn care, do, does other things regarding the house, wouldn't they pay for the opportunity to be part of a platform that made life easier for the consumer, which is really what we're supposed to be doing as financial institutions? So, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, Tom, it goes without question that financial institutions are saddled with outdated technology. Um, in some cases, it's compounded by the culture of risk aversion, the difficulty to move beyond comfort zones. And a lot of times, one of the first questions when I was on the sales side of the business was, geez, can you, can you, can you tell me, is anybody else doing this? Well, about a year ago, IBM announced a partnership with Bank of America. And the concept was to create a cloud solution that wasn't just a Bank of America cloud solution, but basically looked at overall how do financial institutions, what challenges do they have? How many of these can we check off the list and make it so that it could be 
sold to other financial institutions, but without them going through all the startup steps about starting from scratch. Because, you know, the cloud is big enough as it is without having to start from scratch. And as I understood it, the partnership was one that really the the end goal was to make it so this was a scalable solution, not scalable just up, but scalable down, so that all financial institutions could jump onto the bandwagon. Now, today, um, it was announced that you have expanded this network and you've brought others into this network of financial institutions, um, not just from the United States, but but overseas, to be able to provide even greater capabilities. Can you describe that a little bit to explain what's gone on? Yeah, so... Thank you for giving me that segue where I could talk about this announcement today. <laughs> so, um, so first of all, let me let me just tell you what the mo- what the motivation for it because there's an interesting backstory to this. Okay, so first of all, um, Bank of America had and probably still has one of the largest and most successful private clouds. Okay, tremendous investment, tremendously successful, but they reached the point where they were uncomfortable running some legacy highly sensitive, highly regulatory sensitive workloads, even on their private cloud. So they came to IBM and said, we, we need your help. That's one part of their problem. The other part of the problem, which has been, you know, beleaguering this industry forever, I know Spiros knows this very well, is how banks deal with ISVs and fintechs, okay? I, uh, when I first joined IBM about three and a half years ago, I tried to build a, a fintech uh, ecosystem and, and and bring the banks together with with the fintechs. And it's you know it's they're they're speaking completely different languages and they're on completely opposite ends of the risk tolerance profile. Right, different motivations also. Different motivations, yeah. And and one anecdote that I like to tell, I'm not even sure this actually happened, but I think it's a it's a good anecdote anyway. It's <laughs> <Go for it. laughs> Yeah, no, I never let truth get in the way of a good story. But um, what, you know, a major, 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 major bank um, really embraced uh, fintechs. Okay, and set up a you know an innovation center and had eighty. That's eight zero concurrent POCs underway with about eighty different different fintechs. And you know, the, the the bank loved what they were seeing. There was all this great innovation and how how quickly. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the fintech, fintech can roll out updates and things like that. Okay. But story goes that, that this, this um, CIO said, although we love all this, not a single one of those fintechs will get into our production center. Will not. They, none of those will ever see the light of day. And again, why? Risk. It goes back to risk. And the way that a bank lowers the risk for um, dealing with a third party is by a process called uh, vendor onboarding. Probably the most arduous and bureaucratic uh, process that somebody has to go through. We did a survey, by the way, uh, of how many steps banks have in their in their vendor onboarding or vendor review process, and and we got somewhere between 200 and 600 steps. Now, what are these steps all about? They're about learning more about that company to understand the risk again, right? Now, if you're a fintech, you're going to collapse under the weight of a vendor review process, let alone if you're successful to get two of them going, you're, you're, right. you're not going to be able to do it. So, so those were the problems that, that, the, that the industry has and that Bank of America said, we need to do something about this. We think this is an IBM type and IBM scale problem. Let's collaborate on this and solve this. So that's what we uh, announced in November was 
this, this, this partnership. We then announced in May that our ecosystem had grown to almost um, 20 ISVs. And these are ISVs that um, are committed to run on, um, on this regulated cloud, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. So these ISVs have committed to running on this, on this special cloud for the financial services industry. Um, and today, um, we are announcing that we're expanding um, from, from having this cloud only available in the United States. Is Now we're, we're announcing that BNP Paribas is going to be our anchor client, anchor partner in Europe, and that we are working with a, a large bank in Japan, MUFG, to, to, to look at doing the same there. And in, in a nutshell, this is what this cloud is. It's, it's the IBM public cloud, which has gotten, you know, 500% better than it was, quite frankly, when I, when I joined. Um, uh, hint, it, what really flipped the switch was adopting Kubernetes. Our, our, almost our entire cloud now runs on Kubernetes, and that solves so many, so many um, challenges that, that we had. Um, so all that great stuff, all that security, that's, that's still there. But built on top of that is what we call a um, policy framework. Okay? And so, think, so if, when I think of a framework, I think of it as this thing that I could plug other things into. Okay? So the things that you plug into this are regulatory controls. For example... Um, this type of workload must have at least 256-bit uh, encryption uh, or um, other, other standards in the industry such as auditability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every bank has to do this, okay? Why don't we do it once and make it easier and, and lessen that burden of this regulatory compliance for the bank? Um, because there's a, if we look at the Venn diagram of the regulatory controls that bank a b and c want there's a huge overlap okay they're 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 standard things like don't share administrator passwords and you know don't put credit card numbers in your log files right these these kind of things so some of those things we can enforce in software um and some of those things are 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 more operational um like you know don't share administrator passwords so what we've done is we've codified um a few hundred of these controls and we've plugged them into this policy framework. And um, we, we are now running up and live with supporting VMware workloads. So VMware, huge in financial services. Um, we, we now support running clients' VMware workloads within this policy framework. So these are guardrails for regulatory compliance, okay? And we have basically have made it a push button to generate an audit. Okay, that evidences that these workloads are indeed compliant, remaining compliant, and we have tooling that will notify you if you're drifting out of compliance. So that is what the, is now known as the IBM Cloud for Financial Services. And today was kind of a progress update, and it's making us. Uh, I think that the I think the market likes it based on the movement of the stock. So it's a major commitment, and I I think you know. Uh, Spiros, you talked about it earlier and, and about small versus big. What this does, it makes it more accessible to the entire industry. I mean, you could be the biggest financial institution, Tom, or you can be a small financial institution. Because a lot of these checkboxes are checked off for the masses, it makes the cost of all those components of what you have to go through less. 
that again makes it so that it's accessible to, I don't have to go through everything myself. As, as Spiros, you, you mentioned about the fact that, you know, they don't have a choice when you're a fintech. But if you're a small financial institution with legacy operations, you're not alone. You're not any different than some of the others. And therefore, yeah, you may have about 20% that doesn't overlap. But the less you have to do to move to that place, it takes the risk away. But it also helps change the culture. It helps, you know, if you, if you know that the sharks aren't in the water, it makes it a little bit easier for you to get in a little bit. And that makes a big difference. As long as you have a cage around you. It helps, yes. <laughs> I think, you know, what it also does, uh, what IBM does and other ones, but uh, particularly now with the great announcement, is that it allows businesses to focus on their main business, you know, more. You know, like uh, like finding new solutions, gaining new customers, gaining the trust. Uh, and, uh, you know, since a lot of the other things, uh, as you mentioned before, can be automated, can actually be even better automated than humans can do, you know. But And so I think technology here is, again, an enabler to focus on your business, like it does at your desk where technology helps you focus on other things than the tedious stuff. As important as it is, but I mean, I think, uh, I think uh, IBM Cloud Solution, as we heard it today, you know, it seems like um, a nice fit. And as we see the success of these partnerships, people will start want it as well. <laughs> the problem might be, you know, all of a sudden you have to stand in line because there's only so many businesses you can onboard. So it's actually, I think as a, as a big player or a smaller player, I would think fast of adopting cloud solution and learn in the process. Because it's a, lear it's a process we have to go through. You don't become a master by just jumping in the end. You have to go through to see the value. Finally, for both of you, the pandemic has actually been a big wake-up call to the industry on many fronts. Um, the need to go digital, the need to invest in advanced technologies, the 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 need to truly digitally transform yourselves as opposed to faking digital, what I call faking digital, and and pretend you have it. Then all of a sudden when the pandemic hits and you, and you can't go to the bank to bank, you, you realize, oh, geez, we didn't make it as easy as we thought. Um, does this increase the urgency to move to the cloud? Does this, is this a tipping point that says, you no longer, it's no longer optional and that it doesn't matter what size organization you are, you've got to start making that jump. You can't keep all this old technology in place that hinders your ability to move when the marketplace changes in a day. Tom, I'm going to throw that to you and I'll throw it to Spiros after that. Yeah, I, I, I would say it's, I think it's made it even more, more imperative. And I think that the gulf between the digital haves and have nots is really going to is, is really going to come out in the wash of the, of this, uh, you know, unfortunate uh, pandemic. And um, it, it's really, it's the, the banks are going to have to, you know, doing nothing has a risk of its own. Right. So the banks are really going to have to consider the risk of, 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 of um, status quo um, versus being caught with their pants down, quite frankly. Right. So, I mean, we had, we had a bank that um, I don't know what day I forget what geo it was in, but the day that that country shut down, basically, uh, and and you know, but you know, all offices were shut down. They realized they didn't have 
they had 10% of the capacity that they needed for remote um, desktops, okay? Now, they call IBM, and because of cloud technologies, over one weekend, we were able to get them to, you know, 120% of what, the, of what they needed. So, I mean, if that's not an example of the power of the cloud in terms of scalability, you know, I don't know what is. So, Well, it goes beyond financial services. I mean, the consumer themselves have noticed the difference between those companies that have advanced technologies and those that don't. Because things come apart of the scenes. The PPP loan process. I mean, obviously, if you had a cloud technology, you were able to adjust very quickly. I mean, that, that regulation came out on a Friday, and you were expected to be able to deliver the loans on a Monday. And in fact, you were expected to be able to deliver them later on that Friday, which was even worse. But the reality is, it gives you flexibility. It allows you to innovate. And I, I think, you know, Spiros, from the standpoint of the go forward, the what legacy banks have to do instead of the fintechs, because the fintechs pretty much have this in place in some way, shape, or form. But there's going to be financial challenges. I mean, the financial institutions are going to be looking at defaults. They're going to be looking at having to cut costs. Is this the answer? Is this part of the answer to be able to go to the cloud, to be able to reduce costs, reduce operational expenses, but also be able to move forward as a financial institution? Whatever reason they get, you know, to move to the cloud? Is it for cutting costs or being innovative? It, it doesn't matter to me. I think as long as they do it, you know, because in order to survive and, uh, you know, oh, oh, survive is a hard word in order to compete. And um, I, I don't really care. I mean, I hope they, they realize, you know, whatever reason they find it within themselves, you know, I think some of the CEOs must have seen now with the work that is working from home within banks, you know, a lot of bank uh, cust uh, or Twitter, everyone at Twitter works from home. You realize that, uh, you know, you can't handle this from with the structure you have. So if you realize this, then you should realize, my God, maybe, maybe we should move faster and slower. And one thing I would like to say on this is, those institutions became big because they took risks and people forget that. And if you stop taking risks, there's no status quo. It's only going up or down. There's no status quo. And if you have this in your mind, then, you know, you should take risks and sometimes you should fail, you know, because uh, failing is like a child again that falls. When I give speeches, I tell them always, if you have a child, you don't tell your child don't run because it's going to fall. It's going to fall, and but it's going to fall less. And eventually it's going to grow up and be successful at whatever he wants to do. And the same thing with us. You know, if we stop taking risk, you know, I think this culture of the risk averse culture is not a culture that advances banking. It doesn't advance customer experience. Well, I think Tom brought up really well is a close that that the biggest risk is not doing something. Yes. And this is a culture issue. But I think when you really look at what we've just gone through and we're still going through, we've got to realize that everything's on the table, that the only organizations that are going to really survive or thrive are those that really move to, and put digital technology in place. And, and with IBM's new announcement, I think, you know, a lot of that risk has taken off the table. The discussion should at least take place that says, is now the time, now that I can join others that are doing the same thing. And with, you know, 
Believe it or not, for all those financial institutions that go, well, you know, I really want to get in bed with Bank of America. There's not a cloud technology solution out there that doesn't have financial institutions already on board. I think it's good to take take away the learnings of other institutions that have done it before you. And I think what IBM has just done is they've globalized this because the regulations, GDPR and all the other regulations, to be able to take it to the highest level overall globally means that you're also ready for what the next step is. The United States, from a privacy regulation standpoint, is behind the European Union. And, and I think, you know, when we look at technology and, and advancement of AI, we're all behind China. So I think if we look at going to Asia, when you look at going into Europe, when you're looking at expanding the U.S., all these organizations, the learnings, and as, as has been done already with the, the cloud with IBM, the, the learnings of all the institutions are being formalized. And that works really well. So with that, I'm going to close it off. Tom and, and Spiros, I really appreciate being on the show today. It's a, it was very timely. And you know what? I think the retail bankers that listen to this and have, have gone through this more technical um, episode, I think you have to realize that you still have a seat at that table. You're still part of that decision process, and it's important for your voice to be heard because what you want to do next is only going to be possible with next-generation technology. So again, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Spiros. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. So for all my listeners that are retail bankers, work with the customer experience, are not really involved in the technology side too much, I think this is an important episode because it shows you that the technology of tomorrow is going to impact all of our jobs today. It's going to impact the way we can innovate, the way we can transform, the way we can provide digital services, the way we can manage data. We all talk about using data and advanced analytics to make a better customer experience, but we're not doing very well because our systems aren't built for this. I think what's interesting about the IBM announcement today was that it gives us an ability to dip our toe in the water and actually try things out without going all in. That takes some of the risk away. It makes us so those that may think that this is just too risky can say, okay, let me open my eyes a little bit. Let me see what can be done. And let me see how I can benefit from other organizations' learnings. Thanks for listening to Banking Transformed. Raise a top five banking podcast on Apple. If you enjoy what we are doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take less than a minute to provide a review. It lets us know how we're doing and provides a springboard for bringing new world-class guests to the show. Finally, be sure to catch my articles on the financial brand and look for our new research on financial marketing, innovation, customer experience, and the future of work as part of the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A big thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and our engineer, Sean Rule-Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, make every day a learning experience. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.